You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Well, here we are, back inside the Musicians Guild, and as always, I thank you for being here, and I thank you for listening. Oh yeah, I'm your host, Steve Choi. A lot of things have happened lately, uh, one of them being the tragedy that occurred at Travis Scott's Astro World Festival. Uh, my heart goes out to the families of those who lost their lives. I can't imagine the blindside heartbreak that you would endure um, losing someone you love or a family member uh, upon attending what is supposed to be one of the more fun and enjoyable things in life, a music festival. I don't actually have an opinion on this. It's obvious that someone fucked up and fucked up big. In my realm, the promoter or the company purchasing the show is responsible for, uh, you know, the logistics and the security and making sure that everything for the show is all right. But something like Travis Scott's Astro World Fest is on a different scale, and since it's his own thing, it could have had a different arrangement. So I'm not even in a position to know enough to point a finger, but. I have seen a lot of the public opinion being swayed towards the fact that Travis Scott himself is responsible. And although he may have played a part, depending on the perspective of certain people in the audience and him not stopping the show, but uh, I also am not surprised that a huge rapper slash pop star would be oblivious to the audience um, especially at such a focused moment on himself. So I don't really know. It was a tragedy, and I just have sorrow and sympathy for all those people involved and all the people that still lived through it and all the people that had to see the atrocities and the horrific nature. Uh, it's extra hard for all these people because... When you're having a good time before that stuff happens, your guard is down. These sort of tragedies hit you different when your guard is down and you're in this open, vulnerable, I'm ready to have fun state. Uh, let's all just keep taking care of each other, huh? So this whole 10,000 hours thing, it's now become a trope and a cliche 
We can thank Mr. Malcolm Gladwell and his pretty compelling book, Outliers, for that concept that people love to glom onto. I do think there was a great amount of validity to that idea based upon the specific context in which he used it. Um, but like most things, this certainly wouldn't be the first. Uh, I think the general public takes a pretty compelling idea and then kind of starts to just run amok with it. I think it appeals to that sort of human desire or the modern human desire to somehow forego the mundane and painful reality of really putting in the time to any sort of higher craft and improving yourself at it. And although somebody could say, well, how is claiming 10,000 hours some sort of instant fix? How does this fit into the same mentality of someone wanting to lose weight by just taking a pill rather than adjusting their diet or exercise or, or many other analogies that I'm sure most of us could think of? And to that I would reply, well, it may not be an instant fix, but it somehow quantifies something so subjective and so kind of enigmatic, uh, which is the concept of mastery, which is so subjective that that concept is totally different for the subject and the people observing the subject, you know? Take me, for example. I've been playing music since I was four years old. Being 41 now, I have played music for 37 years. So if I were to just throw some numbers out there, like, you know, there were days where I didn't work on music in this last 37 years, but there were many days where I did it 10, 11, 12 plus hours. So let's just say I averaged all that out, came up with a figure of two hours a day. At two hours a day for 37 years, I would have played 27,010 hours of music, over double what Malcolm Gladwell and now all these people would consider uh, the amount that you need to be a master. I am lucky enough to have people occasionally compliment me on my musical abilities. I'm very flattered and humbled. Uh, but, you know, I usually reply like, thanks, but I've been playing music for so long that if I wasn't at least pretty good, I'd be pathetic. I would have the opposite of musical talent. In fact, a lot of my abilities are kind of a bare minimum when you've been doing something for as long as I have. That said... I don't really feel this whole 10,000 hours concept in music. Uh, there's a good chance that I've done around 27,000 hours, give or take. And the more, I, the more I know and the more I learn, the less I feel like I know. Not to mention that we all go through periods where we're thriving at our craft and we're on top of it and, you know, we're feeling good and at our peak performance wise. And there are huge periods of time, whether you're an athlete or an artist where you just kind of suck 
and whether you progress or not is all about how you push through and what you do on the other side of these difficult times, be it through injury or mental states, psychological conditions, what have you. Obviously, I do believe that people can master instruments, as many have, many that we revere and respect and cherish. Maybe instruments are the thing to master, and music is the thing to practice. I don't know, I contemplate these things because I never really mastered any instrument. I've never been loyal to any instrument. I've always used each one as a means of manifesting the musical ideas I have in my head. So I definitely pushed myself to become proficient at more than one so I could more effectively do that. Um, so I have a lot of respect for those people that devote themselves to uh, single things in life. I have a lot of respect for the bread baker who just wants to make that perfect baguette, the guitarist who really only feels alive when they play blues, or whatever it is, you know? Uh, I guess that is kind of like artisan, you know? And I guess I'm realizing that I am the opposite of artisan in that way. Because I'm always trying to do new things and put things into new combinations and do my own annoying version of uh, being progressive and quote-unquote pushing the envelope, which has resulted in me being able to do a bunch of stuff, but really being a master at none. I guess that's my thing. Oh, bro, I've been going too long. It's time to cut it. All right, enough of my babbling. My guest today is a very talented musician and drummer, a Grammy-nominated producer-engineer, and he goes by the name of Will Yip. Will has made records for bands such as Circus Survive, Turnstile, Angel Dust, Code Orange, uh, Quicksand, Tiger's Jaw, Touche Amore, and the list goes on and on. He is a thermal vent of creative energy, a fellow Asian-American brother, and I'm really, I, I get, honestly, I get giddy when I get to talk to other Asian Americans involved in music or any sort of subculture. Uh, although it's way more common now, me being older and growing up, uh, you know, having my teen years in the 90s, it was, it was scarce, you know? Like you had Bobby Lee on Mad TV and then that's about it, you know? You had Mike Park doing his thing, and I, that was it, you know? So uh, I try to contain my excitement, but I think it kind of bubbles over at times. And uh, it was heartwarming for me because I think it did at times for Will as well. Uh, in this conversation, we get into his time playing with and working for Lauren Hill, we get into sort of his thoughts and approach on why he doesn't really vibe with the whole producer engineer title. We talk about kind of like daily routines and, you know, his workflow. I, we kind of talk about, you know, some certain recordings that he did and we talk about his uh, experience growing up as an Asian American as a child of immigrant parents that came from China. And uh, 
We connect on a lot of that stuff. Duh. In this world, you either give energy or you take energy. Will works his ass off to make sure that he keeps giving that creative energy to all the artists he works with. Oh yeah, we also figure out why he just might be the LeBron of production. Respect. Here's my conversation with Will Yip. Yep, yep. Me, me too. So boom, easy. Easy money, bro. Yep, I'm rocking. Me too, man. Um, yep. Thanks for being here, man. It's really, uh, it's really awesome to get a chance to talk to you, man. So thank you. Dude. Yeah, me too, man. I've been, I've been a fan of what you do for a long time and respect what you do and respect your craft. So it's just cool to finally link up, bro. Dude, uh, the feeling could not be more mutual. And uh, I have so many questions I want to ask you just dude, because- I'll answer of, every single one. <laughs> awesome, dude. Yeah. Um, I just want to start off right away because I'm always curious that, about this kind of thing. Um, drums were yeah. your first instrument, right? Yep, yep, yep. I, yep. I still claim claim myself as a drummer, even though I'm probably a little rusty. And in your heart and mind, are you equal parts musician and engineer producer, or are you leaning towards one at different times, or where are you at with that right now? Um, man, that that's 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 such a that's that's such a tough that's such a loaded question for me. It is because, it's a big you know, question. Yeah. yeah. Because growing up, you know, I, I, I thought I was going to play drums for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Through high school. And even when I got into producing and engineering, um, it was just a means for me to make music, you know. And then, you know, getting to produce so many records with my friends, um, it, you know, I, I fell in love with producing. It became my world, you know. But uh, nowadays, man, I tell people I don't even like the producer tag. I don't even like the engineer tag. I don't even like, like the musician tag you know i just i just make music you know i just I, I you know when i link up with an artist i just want to go into a room and make music whatever that means you know if that means i have to sit down behind a piano and lay down some chords if we need a melody and sing a melody um or i do nothing and then and everything that's happened in the room is already rocking you know what i mean that's cool too so whatever the situation and the song needs i just want to be that guy that helps that helps take whatever that's happening to the next level by any means necessary that's why while when i start producing uh when i start producing records um i had to pick up so many more things you know i, I always was okay on guitar but I, I i dove deeper in you know um i was never a great singer uh growing up as a kid but i had to learn so i can like speak the same language the yeah. singers to under understand uh, what they're doing, understand what their body's doing so that we can share the same language and so that my opinions to them are a little more valid, you know, so Such a good um, point. Yeah, yeah, so I had to I had to really pick up a lot more things and not just to be a musician or be a producer it's, you know, I don't like that tag, like I said it's it's, it's about just making music you know, that's, that's, that's all I do that's all I do every day, you know, like um, I just did, I just did the Greg Barnett record, and he came in, and he's like, "Dude, um, I didn't want to ask, but I was like, before you finish, I would love to play drums on this record. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, w I would love, to, and I would love to help you do whatever you need. And then to, you know, I'm doing a record with uh, 
a good friend, Kelly Goldsworthy. And the first few songs, we had a whole band come in. And then the second session, she sent me demos. And I was just inspired. So I just started building, building the music. I started you know, playing, adding bass, adding whatever, uh, playing drums, adding percussion. And she's like, yo, are we just a two-person band now? I'm like, yeah, I guess so. But, you know, uh, I, yeah, I just make music, man. I just make music. That's, that, that's it. I love that. Um, I have similar feelings where I like to also just be the facilitator in whatever role I'm in, whether it's producing or writing or being a band member. So I totally dig that vibe, man. I dig that style. Hell yeah, man. Um, Hell yeah. And so when you are, when you are mainly behind the board and somebody's coming to you to make a record, um, obviously you know, your level of flexibility and your desire to fill in the gaps and make the project move is very evident. But on the spectrum of just engineer, as far as sounds, signal flow, you know, just the technical side to producer of vibe performance um, and just concepts and thoughts and refining ideas. Where yeah. do you ideally like to see yourself on that spectrum and where do you end up most of the time? Because I feel like a lot of the bands that come to you will require actually kind of a big range out of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I think when it first started, when I, when I came up and, and, um, and I was doing records, it was all more so probably on the sonics range, right? On the technical side, people, I, I have access, I had access, I still have access, but uh, to my dream studio i work on neve 8048 you know uh, yeah, every day and, and and bands were coming just to, like use the room and use our gear and, and 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 use the board um and i love that side of things don't get me wrong i love the science i love sound i love sound design you know i'm obsessed with gear i'm more obsessed with gear as obsessed with gear as anybody else you know obsessed with the science but to me the science is just a means to make great music to refine great concepts and ideas you know and um and and i can't forget that you know even when i dive deep into when i start getting obsessed with a piece of gear or a piece of you know or a mic or something and i'm like hold up does this really matter that much when the singer is is super great or super bad you know it doesn't matter that much you know you just have to get a great you have to get a great performance and the melody and the song have to be great the lyrics have to be great like everything to the core of what we're trying to capture has to be great that is paramount so i think where i like to see myself leaning again like i said before is kind of be able to to do all of it all, all the time you know from the engineering side like of course uh, a meal tastes better when it's played it better right you know what i mean the song it can be great if it sounds better it's gonna feel better to people um so that's why i believe in the science but at at my core i'm a song guy yeah i think everyone that works with me kn- knows that that that's the most important thing to me the song is paramount uh, um, the performance is paramount. The the vibe is paramount. Uh, the concept uh, concepts are paramount. Um, so I'm definitely, you know, I, I, again, I, I I don't personally love the tag or tagging, you know, producers or whatever. But I'm definitely leaning more so on that side of the hands on side, you know, um, of of the songs, of the performances, of the vibe. You know, that's the most important thing to me at the end of the day, you know, um, I'll rather be the one, you know, that has engineering help, um, and mixing help, but be, be the, 
be the quarterback in the room on the creative side of the songs versus be the guy that's that's just behind the board and engineering. So I'm definitely leaning leaning on the former. Totally. That's legit. Um, I relate to a lot of what you said. And I like that you also kind of conceptually keep gear and the science and engineering of recording in its place. Um, yeah, yeah. As I couldn't have said it better myself, as a means to get a better product, you know, it's as a yep. means to better showcase the idea, which is the main thing that we should all be focusing on, you know, no matter Absolutely. what your medium, right? Yeah. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I agree, you know, and we, we, we all have those debates, but we all know at the end of the day, if you have an amazing vocalist, really doesn't matter whether they're singing into a Perlman, you know, a nice yep. brand new Perlman Absolutely. made mic or like I've literally, we've all literally had killer vocal tracks come from a 58 in a garage Dude, and when it's saying, yo, well, you, I, I, you know, I spent, you know, five, six years uh, working with Miss Lauren Hill and, um, you know, a bunch of her classic vocal takes on a record that sold 30 million records, you know what I mean? You know, on Miseducation, um, a lot of those were demo vocals that she sang while sitting down into a SM57, bro. You know what I mean? Damn. Like no no pop filter, but they they or anything. They just couldn't recreate it. They're, she she spit this verse and was like, "Yeah, that's it." Like like that yeah. that is the the record and it goes on to sell a billion records and people don't bat an eye about, "Oh man, they didn't use their fucking, you know, vintage M49 or whatever." You know, you know what I mean? And yeah. uh yeah, yeah, that shit not that doesn't matter cuz again, it does, but the most important thing is the song, and that's all people care about at the end of the day are, can they hear the song or the song's great? I feel like people don't, I feel like they were respected, but I feel like the respect for 57s and 58s has kind of diminished over the past 10 or 15 years, <laughs> where you're like, yo, it's not just a guitar mic. These are some of the most diverse and like powerful, like dynamic mics like ever, and that's why they're still around in studios and Bro. stages yeah. everywhere. They're like ubiquitous. E everywhere. Yeah. A 57 is still on the fucking, uh, on the podium at the fucking White House, yeah. uh, you know, press conference <laughs> office, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I use I use you know um, I use my dynamic mic collection a lot from you know my Sennheisers to uh, mm -hmm. 57s to SM7 still every day you know you can make you can make a record with a trunk full of SM7s and 57s you know what I mean totally. uh, you know, I'd rather have I'd rather I'd rather have a trunk full of those than a trunk full of just the highest end of of you know condenser mics any day because it just handles handles a lot more um, and and you know the words is, is already built in it's dynamic and it kind of kind of handles a lot more literally you know? yeah. yeah and yeah. yeah i challenge anybody to find something that is just way better than a 57 on a well-tuned snare drum like seriously yeah. i mean it's not the go-to snare mic all the time but i'm just saying as far yep. as a solid even yep. well-shaped sound it's, can't it's always going to work yeah it's always going to work it's yeah. always going to work um so you mentioned your time with lauren hill um, yeah. During yeah. that five years, uh, at which capacity were you working with her? Oh man, that that huge question, huge yeah. question. Because she, um, she's she was one of my favorite. She is still one of my favorite artists of all time. You know, going you know going in, I was so nervous. I was so nervous. Uh, you know, cause she hasn't at that point. She was she hasn't she hadn't made made any new music in about 
10 years or so, you know, and uh, she wanted to get back into it. And I remember being so nervous. It was, it was, it was the only time I remember being nervous working in music, you know, because to me, music is just, it's just what I do. So it's just breathing to me. Yeah. But, um, you know, I was just such a big fan and, you know, her lyrics, you know, her sound, everything about her spoke to me so, so perfectly. And, um, and when when we first started working together, she was testing me out the first session. She came to Studio Four. She came to, to the Philly area to test me out as an engineer. That was it. Not a producer. She's a producer, you know, uh, in, in her sessions. And she just wanted a team, um, engineer team that can facilitate her vision. And after the first after the first uh, uh, visit, first session, you know, we r- really hit it off. And uh, but she, for, uh, her manager called and said, "Yo, uh, she loves you, but she hates to drive. You know, she's coming from uh, South Orange, New Jersey, which is about two hours away. And she, uh, she was like, we're going to get a house, and I want you to build a studio in the house, and that's where you guys and musicians will live. Shit. I'm like, oh, shit. And you know, I was 21 at that time, man. Shit. So, um, so they, got, they moved all of her gear from a storage unit in Miami um, to South Orange, New Jersey, to his brand, this crazy, crazy new house. And um, we moved, we built, me and my partner built an entire studio in the basement for her with Frank Zappa's API console. Um, and I was, re- I was our engineer. And then um, one day, you know, we were trying to work on work on stuff and we c- the drummer c- couldn't get her something. Like the drummer, um, uh, she was having issues with drummers or his drummer couldn't make it. And I filled in as a drummer. You know, which was crazy. You know, that was uh, um, you know, she knew yeah. I played drums, and at that at, at that point, I was pretty out of practice. And everyone in the room were so good. They, you know, Lauren has a um, she has a reputation for picking out the best musicians. Yeah, and she does. Very young. She loves young new talent because she loves new spirits. She loves new energy, and she doesn't like like divas. You know what I mean? And uh, so. Uh, usually, you know, when when people work for Lauren, fucking, they get poached. Those musicians get poached by all the big guys. You know what I mean? From you know Alicia to Beyonce to to Gaga, who, whoever. They're always like, oh shit, you work with Lauren? Oh, you can handle this. This is a breeze compared to working with Lauren. You know that's and it is because she she puts you through it. And um, I filled in for drums uh, for a bunch of gigs and and a bunch of sessions, which were the most stressful. <laughs> the stressful time of my life, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, and honestly, when um, uh, our drummer finally made it, uh, biscuit uh, made it, I was so relieved. <laughs> uh, um, and you know, I, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. And um, but um, you know, I had a lot of help that the rest of the guys in the band knew, and they really helped pick up pick up my slack. And it was it was so fun. It was so fun thinking back. You know what I mean? But um, I'm so grateful for those moments. Um, and I still got to play for her on a bunch of stuff in the studio afterwards and stuff, which is definitely where I, where I choose to live. But um. Then you know we got offers to do crazy tours, to do to do insane tours, and she needed help. You know, every, anything from drumming, playing percussion, and then to tour managing. Um, to, and because she knew I I connected with the band really well, and she's like, "Are you you know why don't you know why don't you tour manage and engineer on the road?" So there's three of us that did everything on the engineering side from front of house. Uh, monitors and teleprompter was a big one because this was the first time she was playing in like 10 you know 10 years or so and she's playing her entire catalog of fuji stuff and her stuff 
and uh, the three of us will rotate, you know, depending on how bad we got yelled by <laughs> <at>, her. <laughs> um, um, so, like, if, if 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 she was mad at somebody from honors, you know, somebody else went on that that next night. But um, it was um, it, it it was it was crazy. It was a crazy time, and uh, yeah, basically did everything. Got to, got to do everything with her, um, and That's had crazy. a lot more en- engineering and production. Um, trust as our relationship moved on and it's been a lot of nice in that in that basement studio so but after a while it, it really became all about the touring um, the last few years and then that's why I respectfully um, left the left the camp was because you know and uh, she respected it she knew I was a studio guy and she knew, she knew I aspired to be a producer and um, that's where we still connect on the songs you know she still sends sends me songs um, yeah yeah that's crazy bro so you went yeah. from possible engineer to yep. dr- in-studio drummer to yep. live percussionist eventually yep. to production live production yep that's that's it and that all kind of happened the production to to playing all kind of happened at the same time it was like it was mushy because she's she's this person like she could flip on and say yo bro let me hear you on bass real quick. You know what I mean? Like, like she's just right. like that. You know, she just loves new energy. Right. So it all happens so quickly that you know, going from you know, playing playing a bit to being you know, being behind the board to being behind a teleprompter to being a tour manager. You know what I mean? Like, yo, I, I didn't tour manage anything. I never tour managed <laughs> anything. And then I was managing twenty two crazy musicians. They were, they were my best friends at that point, but they're crazy fools. You know, yeah. and uh, so it, it, to to tour managing. My first tour managing gig with her was doing Rwanda because nobody else, n- none of the other managers wanted to go Damn. to fucking Rwanda. You know, so uh, yeah. that was my that, that was my first gig TMing for her, and it was a uh, it was crazy. Uh, you know, and and coming back off it, I'm like, yo, I could probably TM any band in, in the fucking Literally. world yeah yeah one of my punk bands are probably you know a breeze after, yeah. <laughs> after that so um yeah it was it was crazy were there any shows that were there shows that went off because her difficulty live i feel like has definitely been exaggerated and sensational sensationalized in the press <laughs> you know what i mean so like yeah. you being in the tour managing position in those types of situation you are the fulcrum man like the weight of all these things is coming down on you at that point man. yeah like, how did yeah. you even deal with that that must have been so stressful it was stressful again we had a good team you know the, the three of us that that did uh, a lot of the production and managing together it um it was it was tough it was tough because uh everybody wanted to see her at that point it was her first tour back you know the first tour that we did here you know at that point uh 2010 into 2011 at that point it was a uh, it was crazy. I remember. I remember a gig in at the a music hall of Williamsburg where she did. She did a residency with the Bowery, so she did like a different venue yeah. in New York City mm-hmm. for for like ten days. You know, uh, capping off for three nights at the Blue Note, which was so so fucking cool. So cool. Um, but uh, um, I remember the first one was at 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 Williamsburg, and uh, we were we were really late. <laughs> We were we were really late, and Prince was waiting. Janelle Monae was waiting. You know, and we were really late. Oh, I can't um, even imagine she, the people in attendance waiting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're 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 a bit late, but um, she has her process. She has her process, man. And that's why, you know, you know, uh, I think I think it's uh, it's definitely been sensationalized a bit, you know, uh, about her process, and you know, but um, 
she she just has her rituals has her process has she's a very creative person she's very in tune with her body and like what 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 feels right to her and straight up man i respect it man you know probably during that point i you know i probably definitely was probably here and there a little frustrated with you know people barking at me you know what i mean totally. but you, you know what I, I even at that point i didn't even care that much because i knew the show was going to be great and i knew that people were going to love her when she went on and that was always and that was always a fucking case that was always a fucking case i remember she went on that night um you know we're a little late and it was also after a storm that's that's why that's uh-huh. why that's why i thought that that was unfair i think that show particularly was the one that Added a, added a lot of crazy press because she was so late, but there was like this crazy two foot storm the night before. We were the only show still going on in New York City that night. Gotcha. Which is crazy. Yeah. And um and which sucks for the people that I waited because they were also traveling through a storm. You know, you know, in, in the audience. So, but um we made the show happen. She came out and she said, "Yo, you you want." If you want your money back, man, feel free to go go to tick office, get your money back, or it's you can legit. stay and have a great time and have a great time with us. And we had a killer show. We won every fan over that night, um, including Janae Jan- Monet and uh, Janae Monet and and Prince. You know what I mean? It was yeah. uh, it was great. With well, they loved it regardless. Um, but it was um, it's yeah. I think a bit of it is, is sensationalized, which I think kind of makes her sound more like a fucking badass to me. You know, so it's uh, it's it's pretty, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. She 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 operates by her own clock. She operates by her own creative clock, and you know, from writing music to performing, you know, she she does what feels right to her. And at the end of the day, I respect it, man. I like knowing that stuff. I didn't know stuff like you know, little things like her saying you can get your money back, showing that she doesn't expect the audience to wait and understands yep. that people. It, it's those are the things that the press doesn't mention. That's everything that flips the yep. whole situation literally. Yeah, that one yeah. little offering shows a completely yep. different side of the whole situation. And knowing that, absolutely, and hearing from you that. Basically, she's ready when she's ready, and she knows when she's yep. ready, and she's not going to push herself to get on stage before she's ready. All right, yep. fair yep. enough. Exactly, you know I mean? and she all and she always puts on a great show. That's the thing; it, it works. It works because the product's always fucking great. So you know, I, I, I can't knock on it. I can't knock on it. You know? Fair enough, man. Um, yep. If can we jump back a couple steps? The gear Absolutely. that they had you. Uh, that was in a storage space in Miami, Lauren Hill's gear. Uh-huh. Was this recording yeah. gear or was this all gear, like musical equipment? She had her own drum was, sets, keyboards, everything. It was all gear. I remember unloading, uh one point, I, I unloaded 24 bass drums. What? Just bass drums. 20? Not in the full... The, what? <laughs> the, there wasn't even a the, the matching kit. It was just the, <laughs> the, the bass drums. It's because uh, she... Um, at one point, I was talking to one of her oil engineers that she was really fascinated with different bass drum tones, and she liked making her own samples and making her own loops. So she's like making all these tones. I'm like, yo, that's badass! Again, another thing, yo, this sounds like like kind of fucking you know extra and eccentric, but like it made sense to me actually. You know, that's why now you know I'm literally staring at twelve full drum sets. Why do I have twelve drum sets here? You know what I mean? Like I can use the same drum set, you know, you know, and, and be chill. Like, why do I have 104 Fender guitars? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I like options, I like creating, and that was, that was her too. But she, it was, we unloaded everything, man, from, 
literally everything from live stuff to um, to to a bunch of consoles to a huge my collection to you know fifty guitars like all vintage but crazy the, guitars to yeah the main console was an API that Frank Zappa used it, it was his API that was bought from Frank Zappa's estate. So oh. it was, you know, yeah, it was, uh, I forget which record, um, I used to know this because I used to brag about it, but uh, there's um, uh, a record where he's smoking a cigarette and the ashtray's on the API console and you see it, that's the, like the back of the picture, uh, back of the record or like the insert and that that's the console. There's the one from his from his personal studio. That's so it's cool. so pretty, pretty, pretty epic, pretty epic. Probably my second favorite sounding console I ever worked on for sure. It's crazy to think about how careless people were with consoles then it's like the first time i went to west beach in hollywood with uh donnell cameron i remember yeah. an ashboard ashtray sitting right on the neves console and him just smoking cigarettes missing the ashtray literally just flicking ash into the the channel strip you know yeah. like to the people slider pots fuck. they really yeah, didn't, give, didn't a give a fuck, fuck. <laughs> you know and you have all these noisy phantom channels too and stuff you're just like uh. yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so good. Um, so good. So I also wanted to ask, at this point, we move forward a little bit, and you're filling in on drums. So you're doing multiple days, doing writing sessions, recording, laying down actual drum yeah. tracks for the songs, right? Yeah. Um, how involved is Lauren Hill musically? Is she involved to like a, uh, basically oh. a feeling point of like, Oh, lay back a little bit, or is she really no. technical? Like, yo, you're rushing the beat. You need to lay back. Yo. You keep hitting that mi major third when you need to be singing a minor third. Like, wh what's her level? Everything, everything. What the the latter of what you just said. Okay. You know, she she is the producer, the writer, the director, the boss. She is the creative force. Total she's mastermind. The, there's there's mastermind. There's not someone else. You know, and you know, uh, she's a great musician, a great guitar player. Uh, obviously, you know, one of my favorite voices of all time. But um, literally, um, to say, you know, she doesn't she doesn't play the drums. Uh, uh, um, uh, you know, that's not her instrument, or she doesn't play, you know, whatever. But she knows exactly what she wants. She knows that she knows the beat. She can she can vocalize it to you. She can vocalize the feel. She she can get everything from dynamics to timbre to to hi hat choices to try this. You know, try this stack. Why you stack? You know, it was brilliant. It was it was a so learning experience watching her work you know from the production you know straight up to engineer directing you know what i mean to, she's to, getting to into hi-hat choices she's like oh this hi-hat is a little bit too bright oh, let's go with something darker she, <laughs> she's getting because to her it's all about feeling if right. something doesn't feel right how do we fix it and she's so smart she's a brilliant mind she's like yo grab that all right, you, you, yeah everything is, is screaming at me it's too bright all right yo why don't we try you know, not the telly. Why don't we try this Les Paul and try these hi hats here? She'll go that in depth. I love to, that to 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 reach the vision of her song. She's straight up brilliant. Again, you know, uh, um, I remember, you know, I wasn't making that much money before that tour or before working with her, and I remember just struggling. You know, I was just recording local rappers and bands, uh, 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 local bands for like ten bucks an hour. You know, straight up not making money yet. Like I was selling gear. I was literally selling. Like, I sold my first custom snare drum, which. I'm put it out there. I need to find that custom. Uh, I, I bought when I was 15. I bought an Orange County custom snare drum for like $800, and I sold it to make rent. You know what I just because you know I, I would sell gear. I would flip gear because I wasn't making any money. And I remember going to my uh, um, to my 
uh, college mentor at that point. I'm like, dude, maybe I should get into, uh, I got offer this Lauren Hill gig and touring stuff, but man, I, I, you know, I have to start figuring out how I'm gonna make a living for myself. Maybe I should go back to school and get a master's, maybe get into teaching, you know, as well as a backup or whatever. And he was like, bro, go on tour of Lauren Hill, that's your doctorate, I promise you. That that's is your true. PhD. And straight up watching her work, that was my PhD. That you know, I'll, I'll be forever grateful for that. I text her all the time that, that I'm so grateful for, for what I've learned and just watching her even one session, I was like, Fuck, man, this this person just has so much to offer, offer the world, so much information to share and so much art to share. But how she directed a room, producing, writing, dude, it was it it was inspiring. And I think I hold a lot of that with me to this day. You know what I mean? Um yeah. not you know, I'm not her. I'm not not even close to, to her level of talent, but um, in that seeing a vision, in that she always had a vision. And I and I, I've taken that with me on every Every, every record, every single song, if I don't have a vision of the song, I'm not doing it because I, I feel I'm not going to do it ju- justice. You know what I mean? I think a lot of engineers and producers wants to just cash that check and just bring in, a, bring in an artist, bring in a band and just record and just grab the song. If I don't understand the song as well as the, the primary songwriter or as well as anyone, if I'm not the person that understands the song and the vision of the song the most, I don't feel prepared. You know, like I started record on Monday and I'm stressing out just because I'm, I'm getting into the nitty gritty of understanding what's happening. I want to understand every note of the song better than anybody else in the room, you know? So, um, and she, she definitely, she definitely did that. And she, and that's where I got it from. That's where I learned it from is that she, she was in on everything. There's 22 people in the room. You know, there's, there's four background singers to three bass players. Why would we need ba- three bass players? Long story, but you know, there's like four guitar players, there's two drummers, you know, there's a DJ, yeah. there's a programmer, and she just knows how to get the best from everyone uh, to achieve her vision. And you know, that's that's a gift. That's a gift, man. You mentioned that you start a new record on Monday. Um, do you yeah. do pre-production with bands, or do you just usually take their demos, or both, or what's what's your vibe with that? I do. I I do whatever. I I don't have rules on on how or on what, set, what it or is a preferred you, process uh, you just kind of do whatever uh, i don't ha- i don't have a preferred process i just whatever whatever we need to get it done whatever but the songs have to be great the songs have to be fucking great uh, i would like to hear demos i'd like to hear song ideas um i'll also be down if the band's artist said we have no songs let's go in and just write a whole record and record it i'll be down that's the most exciting thing to me i want to be creative with the guys i want to be the fifth, the sixth member of the process. That's what I tell bands. If you don't want that, if you don't want that involvement from someone in the room, I'm not your guy. And that's yeah. just what it is. You know Same. what I mean? Yeah, totally. But uh, yeah, but um, you know, I usually get demos and then all the works in pre-pro slash finishing writing or writing um, that, you know, make sure everything feels great. I don't let one note or one melody or one bad chord slip by. If, if I, feel a certain way about something or a certain beat we bring it up and my goal is not to be you know be the end all be all it's not about that it's just trying things and we always have uh stage a you know stage A as in like the first the first demo the first version we always have that for Dude, sure this doesn't feel right to me if it doesn't feel if this course doesn't feel right to me it might not feel right for some other ears you know like 
let's try this other, just try another idea. And if you, you guys don't like it, at the end of the day, it's the artist, it's the most important thing, it's the artist's songs. They have to sing it every day. They have to perform it every day. I respect that. So if they don't feel the new ideas, then we can always go back, but at least try it. That's all I ask. Um, and that's what we spend the most of the time doing is work on the ideas. Because once, you know, I, I compare it to a blueprint. I, I can compare it to an architect. Once we get the designs, once we get, you know, I blueprint out this record from tempo maps to, you mm -hmm. know, to basic tones, to basic arrangements of in in instruments, basic layering. I do all of that in pre-pro. Once the melody's there, the lyrics, the beats are there, we have, we have the blueprint for the song. It's just like an architect. Once they design it and get all the science done, you can give to any general contractor team and they can just build it. They have the plans now. If the plans, if there's a great architect, you're gonna, you can get, if it's a great, well-designed plan, a blueprint from a great architect, you can give to any qualified contractor team and they can build you that fucking building. That's how I feel about songs. I always tell bands, do the pre-pro and uh, the writing aspect, that's the most important part. Because once we get that documented in an accurate way, even if someone else, you know, it's never happened, but if we pass off the record to someone else, I trust that the record's gonna be great because we have this, you know? So um, yeah, that's, 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 that's the only part of my process that's consistent is that we're always kind of architecting the, 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 the vibe of the songs and everything before we get the actual, you know, takes the, the actual final version of the song. Um, and sometimes the, the pre-pro becomes the, the final version, you know, or at least parts of it. Yeah. But it's because we put so much effort into it, you know. Uh, yeah. um, I think all uh, so much of our effort goes into the pre-pro. And um, and that's pretty consistent with my projects in different ways, you know. Um, there's certain bands that, that is usually the first project that we do. I don't have the band's trust. They don't know. You know, you know, they don't they don't they don't know what I do. You know, you, you know what I mean? They can talk to bands, but they don't they really don't know what I do. So they come overly prepared, you know, like they will with any recording project. And um and I, I have to show them, I, I have to show them all these ideas and to deconstruct, to reconstruct. And then the next record, I start doing a little bit of co-writing with them. And then the next record they fly me out to do writing when they start writing in their garage, you know, six months before we go into the studio. You know, yeah. there's processes like that that kind of evolve and I'm grateful totally. for it. You know, I'm grateful I'm grateful for it all. I think all those processes work as long as the band's open. The, the band comes with full songs, as long as they're open to new direction and new reconstruction, then, then we're gonna have a great record regardless. Um, or if we build it up from the top, you know, it's all about time. It's all about, it's all about spending the, the right energy and the right time on, on, our, on our songs. You are an energy giver and somebody who makes records, being an energy giver is the best thing you can do. And I think that's why you've been able to establish these relationships you, and that trust. And uh, it's just clear that you're an energy giver, you know? So um, that's Thank dope. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, needing to vibe with artists. Otherwise, it's not going to work out. Now, obviously, yeah. without naming anybody, in recent history, have you actually turned down projects because, like, you guys were coming at coming at it from two different angles, and you knew it wouldn't work? It's 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 only um, it's only happened once. It's only happened once. Um, uh, obviously, I, I won't name names, and uh, because I respect them, and I'm a fan of the artists, uh, um, and especially a fan of their old catalog. Um, but it was a pretty established band, and. Um, I think they were just used to doing everything themselves. 
You know gotcha. what I mean? Like, yeah. like they're, they're used to no one touching the songs. They went into the studio and the producer just got great takes and great tones. That's That was essentially the job of, of yeah. the producer for them. And that's cool. I respect that. I was, I was a fan of some of those records, right? You know, so, so it makes sense. That's just not how I work. You know what I mean? So, so I told them like, yo, I know that if you add me, I'm not comparing myself to LeBron James, right? I'm not LeBron, you know what I mean? But like, you know, a lot of a lot of basketball teams, they already have a scheme going. They already have the chemistry going. They they can be successful. They can be the second best team in the league. Add LeBron James, like it, it might disrupt the chemistry. But do you want to add him or not? Do you want to disrupt the chemistry? Is it worth it? It is with LeBron James. I'm not comparing myself to LeBron James, but I compare myself to that extra member that might come in and. You know, it, it might not be what you're used to doing, you know what I mean? But I know that I'm going to get the best out of it because I have a very unbiased ear. If I listen to what they create in the room and I already think, yo, this fucking slaps. Dude, let's just track it. Let's just go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm inherently, I want to be lazy. I, I don't want to do shit. I want to fucking <laughs> yeah. go get cocktails, you know, right now. Let's do it. You know what I mean? But if I feel something's wrong, man, let's just try to address it. And that's all my pitch ever is. And to them, they were just a little taken yeah. back by that, you know, and that's cool. And I respect that. He 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 um, has his process, uh, the, the the primary songwriters and they have their process and that's cool I respect it they're gonna keep doing their thing but I I I know that with me on that record it would have been the songs would have been been at least to my liking more who knows if people would have liked it more but I knew I would have liked it more I dig exactly um, but, what you're saying yeah, yeah. Yep. That's I it. did a yeah. I did a mix for a band a band's record and they ended up not wanting to use my mix and going with someone else yeah. and yeah. Uh, it, I there was no ego involved ever, and I listened to that version like of the record like five or six years later, and I was like, yeah, wow, I know that. I the same sentiment you had, like maybe not yeah. categorically better, but definitely yeah. was like beyond my scope of what I thought served the songs. So yeah, to your sure. LeBron sure. analogy, you definitely are a guaranteed twenty six points though minimum. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and minimum. that's what you minimum. get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like sometimes it's not about the chemistry. Sometimes it's about what is that one objective gain that that player yeah. or this element will bring. And in a production yeah. sense, maybe the team's needs were more defensive, or they were something else. They were something else, but you definitely would have been a guaranteed minimum twenty six points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love that. I de- you know I, I like I like to think that I am because you know I, I like to think that the most important thing for an outside ear like a producer to jump into a project. Bro, I respect it, man. I think a lot of producers have to, to have to do a better job respecting people's songs. People spend fucking entire year, sometimes years, working on their songs, man. And for you to rather give, you know, half half luster ideas or not give ideas at all, and you know what I mean? It's like, you know, I think I think you gotta respect these these artist songs, and um, and I like to think that I'm a very unbiased and objective ear when bands come to songs. I'm gonna say, yo. These songs are great. They're you know they they just need something. You know what I mean? Or you know uh, 
I want this to be successful for you guys. So these songs, you know, let's let's try this, let's try this, let's try that. And um, I'll be the first one to say, oh, that idea was bad. <laughs> yeah, I think my band <laughs> yeah. should tell you. I'll be the first one to say, yo, yo, yeah, yeah, that wasn't great, but at least you tried it. And my, my batting average is pretty high. Damn, mass sports analogies, but my average is pretty high of my ideas because I respect the most important things is I respect their craft. I respect the energy to put into the song. So the ideas that I give back, they have to be good. I have to come correct. You don't need to say it because the amount of bands that come to you for record after record shows yeah. that already, bro. Like, yeah. like you look at your <laughs> discog and you're like, so many other producers' bands is like one and done, one and done, one and done. Yeah. You got so many bands. It's just like record, 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 live recording, record, record, you know? Yeah. And I think that's hey, a that's real testament to the vibe and the energy that you create because in, in my belief, um, being able to engineer and get a good tone and recognize basic elements of making a recording better is the bare minimum. I think actually, yep. whether artists realize it or Absolutely. not, 90% of seeking someone to work with in the studio is about the vibe they create and how they make you feel. You know, I yep. know that also Absolutely. from being on both sides of the console myself. And uh, it's obvious that your philosophy and your motivations are have the integrity they're they're not shakable or fallible and so i think thank uh, you man it's a beautiful thing and i have so much thank respect you, and appreciation for that bro uh, thank you man so if you don't mind if we may kind of switch modes real quick um we can switch, switch all the modes you want bro switch my asian brother my asian brother yep. hell yeah We're, let's switch <laughs> modes all right um, you're from the Philly area. Is that where you grew up? Yep, I grew up. Uh, I I grew up in Philly. I was born in Manhattan. Uh, my my parents, you know, it's straight up like like fucking fresh off a boat uh, episode. <laughs> you know, they better, you know, they um fucking seek refuge in fucking Hong Kong to get over here. You know, because you couldn't leave. You couldn't leave mainland China at that point in the seventies. You know, you, yep. had to, you literally you had to swim. To fucking Hong Kong, swim to a ferry, take you to Hong Kong, to to you know our um, forever grateful for our uh, family that was already here that was able to help my parents get over there with nothing but the clothes on their back, get get to get to New York, and my dad had opportunities to work in here, work in the restaurant industry in Philly. So we're the only part of our family that moved to Philly when I was really young, when I was one or so. So I spent my entire life in Philly, man, and uh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for New York and uh, grateful for my family there. I'm fucking Philly. Philly's in my blood, bro. Philly's yeah, in my blood. Yeah, that's tight. So your yeah. parents yeah. literally escaped Maoist China through Hong Kong yep. to get here. Yep. Uh, yep. Exactly. Beautiful yeah. story. And yeah. uh, did they do restaurant biz in Philly? Yeah, they. Um, you know, the first one failed. You know, he went to owning a restaurant in Chinatown. The first one failed. My dad continued working in the industry. You know, from straight up. You know, I'm so, you know, yeah, as a kid, man, you know, first off, this is so cool. We're two Asian dudes right now that's coming from fucking punk music and fucking rock music, talking to each other, and maybe some people will listen. And there's actually some people that care about what we're saying about fucking punk music. That's so cool. It's giving me chills thinking about it. But I me just too. have to say that. I'm trying to contain crazy. my giddiness yeah. and not giggle yeah. and be like, yes, dude, I get to talk <laughs> yeah. to one of one of seven <laughs> other Asians in our world. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, man, he, um, I, dude, straight up, not, not, to, not to get too real, you know, growing up, I, I was like a little embarrassed. 
You know, you know what I mean? Totally. When my, you know, to, to, to talk about what totally. my parents did and, and I, I feel it. ashamed. I feel, I feel, you know, I, I feel all this guilt and now I'm so proud, bro. I'm so proud because fucking, yeah, my dad, I'm getting choked up thinking about because my dad, yeah, worked fucking 16 hours a day making, what, three, four bucks an hour at Chinese restaurants because um, that's all he could do because they, they didn't speak the language. They didn't yeah. speak the language here. You know, they had great jobs back home, but uh, not great, but you know you know what I mean? A little more viable jobs back home. And my mom worked in a fucking sweatshop, literally worked in a sweatshop. You know, I you know she brought me there as a kid because we didn't have a fucking babysitter. Uh, brought me there as a kid a few times and straight up, it was a fucking sweatshop, man. And um, and that's how that's how we lived. That's how they took care of us, right? They were always working. Their work ethic was crazy, um, but they were just smart, man. They they grew and they eventually my dad uh, bought into or uh, bought into partnership, became a partner at one of the biggest Chinese restaurants in in Philadelphia. Um, you know, close to my high school years, and um, yeah, man. And they built a life. You know, they took care of us. You know, to, for for them to work so hard at these like crazy, crazy, you know. I don't want to say shitty because that's really demeaning to the job, but just like jobs that they didn't totally. want for us, right? You know, they, 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 they worked so hard at these jobs and we never felt that. We never, they never, never. made us feel, because they never made us feel it because they were just working for us. They came to America to give the next generation a, a better life, right? And totally. uh, yeah, man. And um, yeah, they worked in the industry and those two industries was just, you know, was, was again, something that, that was a big part of my life in a lot of different ways where now I feel a lot of guilt thinking back on it of how I felt. But, you know, I think that's natural for, for people trying to assimilate into American culture. You, you growing up as a kid that, you know, you're, you're made fun of, you're a bully, you just wanted to fit in, you know what I mean? So, totally. you know, there was points where it was like, yo, why, why can't I be white? You know, why can't I fucking, totally. ha- you know, uh, you know, why can't I just be normal? Why can't I have fucking uh, parents have a normal job? So you know, I, I, I'm not embarrassed when my, friends yep. go into my dad's fucking Chinese restaurant you know yep. what I mean yep. and and but now straight up you know I couldn't be more proud I can be more proud to fucking to have my, my mom and my dad cook a meal for for my bands you know what I mean it's like totally. you know it's actually the the coolest th- it's the coolest thing to me now because it made me who I am and I'm grateful forever grateful you said yeah. it bro and I think that uh you are kind of giving life and another voice right now to the experience a lot of us asian americans i went through the same thing my parents uh came to a really white place near san francisco uh north of san francisco and they did the korean stereotype which is run a dry cleaner you know and uh i had the exact same feelings i have the exact same feelings now so proud of it uh and i'm actually kind of glad I had that shame as a kid because it was character development, just like being bullied for being Asian. And then whatever else it is, like we think we're past that as we're getting into the music industry and then we're further marginalized as like token Asians (laughs) in the music industry. But at the same time, you can't like complain about it too much because then uh, Asian males especially are so quick to be cast as bitter and resentful, which a lot of us are or were at some point, you know, myself included. Yeah. But I also got to say, uh, on a culinary level, actually, Philly's Chinatown is the most underrated Chinatown in the nation. Yo, I'm from San bomb. Francisco area, and yep. that Chinatown and the the density and the consistency of the quality of food in Chinatown, the fact that yep. 
for some reason you can get it late night in philly too like it yeah, doesn't super exist late. anywhere else <laughs> but it's like we fly into philly for a show i don't land till eight yeah. i know if i don't get to the hotel till 10 30 i'm good dude i'm good you're good you're good I'm you're good, good. yep yeah, you can get fresh, great seafood at fucking three o'clock in the morning. Straight you know, up. At any night of the week is crazy. It's and I don't crazy. understand why people don't respect Philadelphia Chinatown because uh, you know what? It is the best Chinatown in the country. Straight yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm, I, yeah, I'm not to sound like a homer, but I agree, you know, and uh, it was cool that my, my family got to play a role in it. You know, my mom still works in the, in, in the Philly Chinatown, but um, it's yeah, dope. man, it's uh the culture is great. It's almost as though it's almost like they almost do it to themselves, you know, that they want to keep it a secret for them. You yeah, know what I mean? The sense. Chinese community there, they want to keep it for them because they know they're already seeing it. You know, they're already seeing, you know, uh, uh, you know, rich white kids rent the apartments on top of the restaurants. You know, they're already seeing developers come in and, you it's know, true. you know, develop co- condos and which is fine if, you know, which is fine. You know, that's just, that's just the way the world works. That's the way gentrification works. Right. But they, you know, it's almost like they want to keep it a secret, a, a well-kept secret because to a lot these Philly cats, my parents included, this was all they had. The reason why they didn't understand English was because they just jumped into Chinatown Straight and up. they just lived there. They just yep. stayed there. That was their home. So that's probably a, a, a bit to play a part of it, but it is. And but which makes it even cooler to to my white friends. They're like, oh shit, yeah, we want to go to the Welcome Secret. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, but but uh, yeah, it, it is it is it is one of the best, man. I, I can dig that. Yeah, I mean, you know, RX has been playing the truck for twenty years, and to RIP. All, all, yeah, R.I.P. And uh, no. to watch that whole neighborhood over the past 20 years, so much of it stay the same, but so much of it changed yeah. so much at the same time. Yeah. It's been a trip, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it's been a trip. And that's normal. But uh, but yeah, man, it's, I'm very grateful that that's in our kind of kind of backyard for sure. Yeah, but I, I dig what you're saying about keeping it a secret. It's the same in SF in San Francisco. Like yeah. there's the tourist Chinatown, but the real kind of like Chinese people Chinatown is like a few yeah. miles away on clement and geary like you know yeah. and that's where you go to like get the really good food and stuff like that yeah so, um for sure uh what age did you start playing drums i started playing drums when i was 11 when i was 10 or 11 years old i played drum in jazz band because i was playing alto sax at that point you know i started playing alto sax when i was six or seven in, in elementary school and um, i was playing jazz band in middle school um, or, or yeah, fifth, fifth or sixth grade, and um, the drummer was just a cool guy, man. You know, he was the guy <laughs> behind me, and like everybody looked at him. And one day, I just jumped behind a kit and just like, I just played the beat. I just watched this fool do it. I'll never forget his name, dude, Vince Moreno. You know, I don't know what the fuck he's doing now, but he like inspired me to do it because he was so cool. Number one, he got all the girls loved him. You know what I mean? And fucking, he got the, the he was a superstar drum solo guy. You know what I mean? Like he's the only one that got a solo at the at the uh, the band concerts. You know, and um, I was like, um, yo, this is so cool. I love rhythm. Um, you know, I love jazz at that point in my life. I was like, yo, let me. Let me just try this and hop behind there. The first beat I played, I fell in love with drums. I was like, this this is what I should be doing. Literally the first time I played a beat behind the kit, I knew I was going to do that shit for the rest of my life because I fell in love with it. That's badass, man. Um, sorry, I just had a little CPU error. I don't understand oh, all why good. my Pro Tools is freaking out. All good, bro. Um, so... I also meant to ask you prior to that, um, your parents meant, you mentioned that your parents never really got a grasp on English. Do they speak Mandarin or Cantonese? They speak Cantonese. 
Okay, gotcha. So they're from yep. southern southern yep, regions the, of yep, China. Yep, yep. Southern. How, how's your Cantonese? Southeast. Uh, it's still. I mean, to them, it's not good. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but 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 when I go to a restaurant, when I go to a restaurant and hit it, you know what I mean. The people are impressed because <laughs> they're because they, they can talk to someone. But it's for household language. When we go in, you know, um, that's that's what we speak. When I see them yeah. tomorrow, um, you know, fucking, that's what we speak at dinner. You know, is is Cantonese, and it, and it's like riding a bike it always comes back. So after you started playing drums in jazz band. Um, is that where your sort of technical training comes from your understanding of rudiments and basically all the drum technical stuff? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the, the basic, um, the, the technicalities, you know, I definitely learned very early and I used to be a nerd. I used to wake up at fucking five o'clock in the morning, just like practice my rudiments before, before going to school and shit, you know? So it's a, um, I was, yeah, I was a drum nerd. I was, I was a drum nerd throughout middle school and high school. Um, but it wasn't until I found like fucking punk music that I really fell in love with applying those things. You know what I mean? At that point, yeah. leading up to that point, it was just a discipline. You know what I mean? It was yes. just like, you know what I mean? It, it was, it was, you know, I loved it. It was almost equivalent to like, you know, playing, you know, learning violin or, or learning the sa- alto for me, you know, but, um, wasn't until, um, you know, finding music that I loved, um, that I was able to apply, that that technicality too is that's when i really kind of connected all the dots what was the first band or record or song that that like broke through that wall for you it was it was nirvana it was when my brother um you know we grew up on hip-hop and so even throughout playing jazz band i was still you know i fell in love with hip-hop but um my brother would, would get tapes i remember you know you remember those uh um audio subscription things where oh, you yeah. either got like three oh, records yeah. for like four cents or something you know what i mean and then that's the og bmg like the publishing company started as that yeah yeah exactly (laughs) exactly bmg columbia um but uh but but uh my brother would get these tapes and one day you know i remember listening i was listening to chronic and and he was like yo this shit's really cool um you know it's a band and it was in utero so, so at that Sick. point, you know, I was, I, yeah, I, I was pretty young, you know, when you were, uh, first came out, and I put it on. I was like, yo, this feels crazy. It like sounded crazy to me. It was so raw. Like even then, so I knew, raw. I knew that it was raw. I was seven or something, and I, I like, you know what I mean. I knew, I knew that was it was raw. But like reconnecting with it later when I when I started playing drums. Um, it it really spoke to me when 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 I started understanding drums and I went back and put on utero. I'm like, this is what I want my drums to feel like. You know what I mean? So it inspired me. I think Nirvana is the band that really kind of inspired my um, my rock roots for sure. That's a great record too, especially with such an extreme and defined and still unique and powerful drum sound to this day. It's like you the yeah. recording still holds up. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, people still reference that record all the time for the for those drum tones for sure. Is "Serve the Servants" the first track on that record? Yeah, I believe so. I believe yeah. so. Yeah, that that shit's wild, man. Um, that shit's crazy. Yeah, uh, that that slap delay, that quick like two millisecond slap delay yep. on everything is just yeah, it's wild. It, it creates this like it creates. It's almost like the first spatial audio <laughs> in the 90s, yeah, like the mix. Yeah. It, creates. it creates this space and this dimension it, it, it in gives, your head. Yeah, it gives you depth. 
there was this de- yeah. depth that that it, it added that other records even uh, Nevermind didn't have, which Nevermind was, I think, to people objectively a cleaner sounding record and a more you know a polished sounding record. But In Utero hit different. It hit different just because there was so much dimension to it. It did, and it, it was like dancing the line of phasiness so much of the time too. And yeah, like, but yeah. it just it just works, man. I mean, yeah. it's such yeah. a colored. It's so colored with so much harmonic distortion everywhere too. It's just yeah. it's beautiful yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I dig yeah. it. Um, yeah. The sound of those two records are kind of different in a way uh, that one of the bands you've worked with who's been getting a lot of hype lately have different sounds. And uh, I wanted to talk about them kind of briefly yeah. because uh, of course I'm I'm in particular a big fan of the record you did for this band right and this is a band called turnstile that uh you know their latest record glow on has been getting a lot of hype but personally from a sonic recording uh standpoint i'm not as big of a fan of the mix and the tones on the record that's just my personal feelings because i feel like what you were able to do on time and space with kind of it's not often that a band like that gets to be that clean and that much beautiful, like actual gear-driven coloration and harmonic distortion. The The record sounds so nice and Neevesy without sounding flat and dull. And I just got to give you props on the yeah, sound thank of you, Time man. and Space because thank you. to hear that band and those songs mixed and sonically like like at the beginning of like generator i mean the drum pattern is just these single kick hits at the beginning of the phrase and then sometimes it comes with a duh duh and then there's another duh duh like an eighth note pattern right but that beautiful black album inspired yes yes (laughs) but see the beauty of that part is the the rhythm is actually being generated by the rhythm of the guitar parts, the da 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 da, right? And just the way you got that part to sound makes it sound so big and clean. And I honestly think it's to the level where most people who listen to that band will not appreciate that recording (laughs) level or quality like at all, unfortunately. But I want to give you props for that because I think the whole record sounds fucking great. So props. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. That that band um, is one of my. They're, they're they're my brothers. They're my brothers. And uh, uh, getting getting uh, being able to collaborate with them, you know, a few times from you know the first thing we did was uh, move uh, move through me the, uh, the a seven inch mm-hmm. every day, almost like a test. Like, what are you gonna do for the next LP? And it's just click. Brendan, he's on that. The singer Brendan Yates, he's on that level. He's on that that next level of you know th- that that creative love. That dude's the maestro. He is. The uh, the musical director in that band and the and you know the primary songwriter he's brilliant and for us to collaborate those days were hard but they were so creative and so much fun yeah. those guys are my brothers it was so much fun I love the new record you know I personally you know I think you know the the growth the growth is great there it you know it should have all you know to me. Brendan is a producer of that band. You know, Makes he's sense. the one. You know, you know. I remember we were talking with the label. Forever, I'll be, I'll be attached to Turnstile for, forever, regardless. I told them, I tell bands, I don't give a fuck if, if, if you guys move on to a different producer. Like that's cool. Like do whatever you get, feels right. I always have your back. You know, you know what I mean. And Legit. that's why I did, I did pre-pro on that record. 
because um, they they wanted my ear on on, on a bunch of stuff, and uh, we had we had, we had the discussion with with the label about you know producers and I, and I and I am always supportive about people just exploring and just trying different things. At the end of the day, I know me and Brendan will work together forever, rather it's on Turnstile or different projects. We're always gonna work together, um, but. Uh, yeah, the record. Yeah, I'm so happy for for how that record's doing. You know, I'm a I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan of that record and what that what that band is in general. And um, yeah, yeah. Do you you work with him on Angel Dust? I did. I did. Yep. I yeah. did. Because doesn't did, he uh, drum for Angel Dust? No, no. Brendan plays guitar in Angel Dust. Oh, a- oh, guitar. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He drummed in in uh, Trapped Under Ice, which I did. Oh, that's mix. right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get, that yeah, one other, a- that one other little band trapped under. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They 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 only have uh, they only have flat bands. They only have baby bands. You know. Yeah. And, uh, no, those guys, those guys produce. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think it's, is it. You know, this community is gonna go down the books, man. You have these, you know, it's the same motherfuckers that are in three of the most influential bands in our, in in the punk literally right now, right? three you of know? the most genre defining bands exactly. that exactly. hardcore and punk have seen in the past yep. ten or fifteen years, straight Ex- up. Exact, yeah. exactly, man. And, and and it's just you know because because of, of the creativity, there, there's no limits to them. You know what I mean? Like we were never thinking about if people were gonna like it. We we're just doing what feels right to us. You know what I mean? And, and they and they I still did definitely definitely would glow on. I I. Knew that you know while pre the record i knew the record's gonna be successful no matter who produced it so totally. i didn't give a shit man i just wanted them to do well and want them to do well and, and i fucking love the record love the way it turned out and they're um they're fucking crushing it well deservingly so for sure yeah um yeah. i do love glow on a lot yeah. and i have no major gripes with it yeah but yeah. like i said if i'm being honest i just wish i could ah. hear a will yip recorded version of mystery or you know, oh, man. in particular, oh, yeah. just because I have, I just don't think the relationship between the guitars and the drums really serves yeah. the song. I think hey, man, it I, ends up flattening it out. And I feel like, I mean, again, I love the record and all respect yeah. to whoever made it. I just wish that there was a little bit more keyed compression with the kick in the guitars, where at least yeah. like when the kick hits, if you side chain it, like it's ducking the guitars, maybe just point two dB yeah. a little bit more just to get yeah. more of that flow because I feel like it's a little static and washed out, you yeah. know? Yeah. But that said, I, yeah. I love the song. Yeah, for so. sure. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. I feel like um, I'm uh, when I'm not doing a record, I'm actually the easiest critic <laughs> critic uh when i do you know when i fucking yeah. uh, I, I, um you know when when people send me shit they're like well what do you think how it sounds you know it's already done record i'm like sounds great sounds good you know you know because because <laughs> i usually i think that's what makes my ear valuable is that i can be very unbiased when i'm just listening to music and consuming totally. music and, and i'm just listening for the song um because i remember I, I, yeah i remember brendan was not that he was stressing but it was like the first the first mix. everyone's always stressed out the first mix of my first mixes very first mixes he was like well how's it sounds like Yo, are you stressing? Sounds good to me. <laughs> I was like, sounds good to me. But uh, um, but usually when I when I do a mix, I'm literally freaking out and stressing totally. out about every fucking little thing. Totally. Um, but yeah, 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 for sure. No, I feel you. I mean, because when we're in a mix, you know, what we need for perspective and comfort is space. And yeah. when we're making a mix and doing it, we don't have that space, you know, so we're freaking out. We're like neck deep yeah. in it. Whereas other people's projects, we have all the distance in the world. So it's yeah. easy for us to just be like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. Like, I like Yeah, it's one. fine. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah why are you stressing? <laughs> and, and actually, I would only be so audacious as to make publicly known my ideas for what I would like to see differently in 
glow on mix because yeah. i like the album yeah. so much like i'm yeah. not one to just yeah, I, like chuck my respect, opinion on shit yeah so, i respect yeah. i respect that so much you become almost kind of invested because the shit i'm super you know, invested it, yeah, yeah, i exactly. mean to me the combination turnstiles music all the way back to non-stop feeling is they're like sent from futures past to reconcile yeah. all of our age groups of 35 and above to what's going on now and they perfectly bridge that gap and marry it you know what i yeah. mean so yeah, absolutely absolutely I they're think, gonna be one they're, they're gonna be one of the goats they're gonna be one of the goats you know for sure yeah that's their Wonderful. appeal so yeah um you're in the control room of the studio now i am i am you have are you in session today um i am mixing i'm mixing two records right now kind of in between wrapping up two two records so um, I'm not with people today, but I, I am working as hard as I ever do. <laughs> Will yeah. you be like, do you split up your day? Like you'll go four, three or four hours on mixing one, three or four hours on mixing the next with a break in between or something? Um, yeah, yeah. Usually what I, yeah, um, something like that. Uh, usually, um, man, my days are, my, my days are fucking crazy. I, I, yeah. I just give my rundown, wake up, you know, wake up at seven, eight o'clock in the morning. And um, usually before I do my session, um, I usually do some mix recalls along with the emails in the morning and then I jump on a session from 10 to 8 o'clock, a 10-hour session, have dinner with the wife, we, we watch a little TV, catch up, you know, and then I mix until about 3 o'clock in the morning again. Uh, so, yeah, so on mix days, I, I almost treat the inner session as like whatever the main, whatever's the deadline record that needs to get done and then I still have those other pockets of time in mixing. So it's, it's nonstop. It's definitely not a... The most sustainable thing, but it's just my grind time right now. It's just, it's just what I do. You know, I just have to take care of my body and, and get my right, you know, eat right, exercise right for that to happen. But that's what I do every day. That's just what my rhythm is. And then once I got into that rhythm, I just do it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. It's legit. So you yeah. average probably only about four or five hours of sleep a night? Yeah, probably. This? Yeah, five, five is what I shoot for. <laughs> it definitely should be better than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, it's what, it's what I shoot for. But again, you know, that will change. That will, that will change as, as you know, my, my, um, my life kind of settles down a little more. But right now we're just in grind mode, man. We're just in grind mode. That's, you know, uh, that's just what it is. And honestly, I'm grateful for it because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, that would lo- that would love my seat you know what i mean so i'm totally. grateful totally yep. and what do you what is your exercise thing are you a runner a biker or? yeah i run that's my you know that's you know just the easiest thing for me and then core stuff at home to take care of making sure that i'm centered and and and, and solid you know what i mean but uh yeah yeah do you at least live in close proximity to the studio it's not like a long drive for you is it yeah yeah, cl- yeah close enough you know about 15 out you know, yeah. So it's not a bad drive. Uh, That's um, cool. <clears throat> yeah, I used to live right around the corner from the studio, literally on the same block, and that was dangerous because I never left. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, yeah, I used to live. You know, while we were making uh, perfect example, while we were making uh, time and space, uh, <clears throat> the band lived in the apartment. You no, know, I also rented out the apartment under mine to, okay. for bands to stay in. Uh-huh. And Turnstile was saying they were they were kings of this town, man. They were the kings of they. Every bar knew them. Every restaurant knew them. Everybody they were like, "Oh shit, Freaky Franz here!" You know, it was crazy. And after a session, I'm like, "I'm gonna get uh, I'm gonna get dinner." Or she's like, "Yo, let's go out to the pub. Let's go out to the pub. Pub Fridays." I was like, "Dog, I'm so tired." <laughs> yeah, me, me and Brent, yeah, me and Brendan got to work tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're like, "Yo," and send me a text at 11:30. It's like, "Yo, well, we're going out to the pub, man." I'm like, fuck, dude, you gotta come, you gotta come, yeah, and fucking, you know, I'm like, all right, we'll go, we'll go out for a drink, and then we're we're out till 4 a.m. on the block, you know, having a good time. So that was a, it was a lot of good energy, but it was a dangerous energy for us for sure. It was awesome. 
that sounds fun man and it sounds like uh it sounds like you are in a really good place of being able to have a perspective on your success and your grind that keeps you positive and enjoying it and going really strong you know so yeah. um <clears throat> i definitely I really don't take anything for granted definitely don't take i don't think anyone working in music should take it for granted i know it's hard and it's hard for for people it's hard for people to grind it's hard for people for, to, to work with the hours and the crazy schedule but yo we're fucking just making music man that we should be grateful for it like that's that's it's such a such a blessing so i wish i knew yeah. that sooner you're so right yep. you're so right yep. and uh i really appreciate getting to talk to you and being reminded of that you know because yeah it's important and you know yep. i uh I just really appreciate your existence and your approach to things because not only do you represent, you know, all of us Asian Americans, but you just represent a really powerful creative force in music. Thank you, man. And, Thank you, brother. Uh, as an artist. And so, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to speak to me. It's been sincerely a, a really, really awesome experience for me, man. So, Hell yeah, man. Again, I'm grateful. Man. For me as well, man. Thank you. Very grateful for you, brother. Yeah, for reals. And uh, I hope we can do this again sometime because I probably got through maybe maybe 40% of the questions I wanted to yeah. ask you. But, <laughs> Dude, uh, anytime you want, man. I love it. I, lo I love doing this, especially getting to talk to a fucking Asian brother, man. This is this is yeah, this is uh, great for me. This is great for me. Hell yeah. Yeah. Thanks Fuck again, yeah, man. bro. I Dude, appreciate you. Thank you, man. Let's keep in touch, man. Fucking text me. Dang, fucking just, let's just chat and shit. You guys bug me, dude. I'll bug you all the time. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah, brother. podcast is real honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles all while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty oh yeah nothing is off the table the honest af show is available wherever you get your podcasts <laughs> <laughs>